Wow. It is time for us to have the privilege of receiving offerings, so will the, pre the ushers prepare. And I want you to know that it is so busy around here right now. We have our youth at camp, get to go up tomorrow and take a malasadas. And then Sunday, our kids get to share with us for Palm Sunday, and then it's Easter. And sometimes I get so busy with all that I have to do and checking off my to-do list that I forget why I'm doing what, or what I'm, I forget why I'm doing the things I'm doing. Anybody relate to that? <laughs> so sometimes my giving is that way too. It becomes something on a to-do list. And I just forget the reason why we give. Why did the Lord ask us to give our tithes? That first 10% of our income, why did he do that? Why did he ask us to bring that to the storehouse? Why did he ask us to give offerings with a generous heart? Well, I think one major reason is that because in our giving, we get to know him better. We not only get to know him as our provider, but we also get to know, <clears throat> we also get to know him as the one who has called us to partner with him in building the kingdom. He's the one who has called us. Let me read the scripture to you. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10, and it says in the New Living, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources, then produce a great harvest of generosity. That's the kind of giver I want to be. I want to know the God who's not needy, who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, but who has invited me to partner with him, who has invited me to understand his generous heart a little bit better. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come not only to bring our offerings, not only to bring our tithes, but Lord, we come with a generous heart tonight, knowing that you have called us to participate with you and many people coming to know you and building your church, Lord, on this earth. And we thank you, Lord, for that opportunity. And Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would just reveal who you are in a little deeper way tonight to each and every person here. We pray your blessing, Lord, upon this offering. We pray, Lord, that it would be used, Lord, so that many would come to know you. Thank you, Lord, for all the opportunities that you give us. And as you provide the seed and the bread, thank you for your provision, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Lynn. Well, before we get started, I thought I'm gonna sh I would share with you. Where's my husband? Okay. I get a special dessert after a service tonight. Um, my son-in-law brought this to me, and I'm going to share it. Because, you know, can you see this? Can you see how beautiful it is? Wait, can you see it? Okay, wait, I'm coming. There, get it? Can you see that? It is, it's a ganache. And what it is, is like I call it heaven. I'm absolutely certain that when I get to heaven and we're sitting at the banqueting table, my seat is going to have a huge one of these right in front of me, and I'm not going to have to share it. It's delicious. It's chocolate. There's no flour. I'm going to give it back. 
It's chocolatey, but it's not sweet. The raspberry just adds a little taste of, and if you eat it, I'm punching you. <laughs> and it melts in your mouth. This is so good. Now, here's the thing about that thing. If I forgot it here tonight, all that hard work that my son-in-law put into that would go to waste. It would just sit here, it would decay, and it wouldn't be worth anything. And all that chocolatey goodness would go to waste. And you know what? That's just like our potential. If we tap into our potential, we can do some amazing things. We accomplish great things. People are helped. We move forward with power and confidence. But if we leave our potential untouched and ignored, nothing happens. We begin to forget about it. We're not driven by it anymore. And eventually, it's just going to fade away. Well, tonight, we're actually beginning a new series entitled Potential. Now, potential is defined in the dictionary as capable of being or becoming. And when we speak of potential, we're talking about who we are capable of becoming. Because when God created each of us, he placed within us the potential to accomplish his purposes. And even though we each have God-given potential, we're not just going to wake up one day and it's there. We grow into it day by day, decision by decision. God's potential, who he sees us becoming, is too big for us to carry, so we really need him. We need him to help us build a strong enough foundation to carry the potential that God has placed within us. And the bigger the potential, the stronger the foundation has to be. So in this series, we're going to learn how not to trip up or become discouraged when we think that we're not where we should be. Instead, we're going to develop the tools we need to build the foundation necessary for us to reach our fullest potential. So this week, we get to learn how to take risks toward our potential. Now, in all honesty, taking risks ain't that hard. That's not even the problem. We take risks all the time. We risk when we accept the job offer or when we leave a job. We risk when we ask someone on a date or if we say yes when we're asked on a date. Even something as simple as trying a new recipe is a risk. So taking risks isn't the issue. The question is, are the risks we're taking moving us in the direction of reaching our fullest potential? See, we're going to have to take risks and make hard decisions if we want to reach our potential. Now, every athlete understands this. You may have natural talent, but it has to be combined with discipline and hard choices to result in greatness. In his book, Chase the Lion, Mark Batterson writes about George Shuba. Now, George Shuba played with the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1955, and he was part of the World Series team. So Mark writes this. He says, in his celebrated book, The Boys of Summer, Roger Kahn said Shuba's swing was as natural as a smile. Shuba laughed at Kahn's description. During an interview with Kahn, Shuba walked over to a filing cabinet and pulled out a chart marked with lots of X's. During the off-season, Shuba would swing a weighted bat 600 times a day. And that was after working his off-season job all day. 
Every night, he'd take 60 swings and mark an X on his chart. After 10 Xs, he'd give himself permission to go to bed. Shuba practiced that daily ritual for 15 years. You call that natural? Shuba asked Khan. I swung a 44-ounce bat 600 times a night, 4,200 times a week, 47,200 swings every winter. And then Mark wrote this, in my humble opinion, no one is a natural. Sure, some people are more naturally gifted than others, but unless that giftedness is coupled with a complementary work ethic, it will only result in wasted potential. So George Shuba did not waste his potential. He understood that to hit the way he wanted to, he would have to make difficult choices. He would take hard work and discipline. And the reason George's swing looked as natural as a smile is that every night in the off-season, for 15 years, he made a decision to pick up a weighted bat and swing it 600 times. And in those 15 years, every swing of the bat in the off-season was a no to going to bed early, no to going out with his friends, no to relaxing. But it was a yes to the potential within him to become a great hitter. Because to move towards our potential, we have to move away from comfort. And this truth is not only for athletes. Any one of us who desires to achieve the potential that God placed within us must start with three things. And number one, risk-making hard decisions. Now, sometimes the decisions we'll need to make in order to achieve our potential will not be comfortable for or fun for us, for our family, or for our friends. We'll need to sacrifice and we'll be uncomfortable to move towards that potential. And as we say yes to our potential, we're going to need to say no to the things that hold us back from reaching our potential. We're going to be faced with letting go of some things that we'd really rather hold on to. Now, there's a story recorded in the Bible of a young man who was challenged by Jesus to take a risk to fulfill the potential that Jesus saw in him. Now, Jesus' followers must have been impacted by the story because Matthew, Mark, and Luke all wrote about it. They all recorded this encounter. So we'll read the account. It's in Mark um, chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. I actually bought myself a large print Bible so I can read it. Okay. So it says, Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And so Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at the word and went away sorrowful, for he had great, um, great resources. The young man recognized that there is something more to be gained than what he already had. So much so that he ran to Jesus, knelt on the ground, and said, what is it? 
What do I do to gain eternal life? What do I do to reach my fullest potential? And Jesus' answer presented the young man with a dilemma. He had a choice. He had a decision to make. Would he be able to make the changes that Jesus asked of him? What was he willing to do to move forward? See, Jesus' answer caused the young man to have to make a decision. It's almost as if Jesus said, do you want to reach your God-given potential? Or are you satisfied with where your life is? Because you need to choose. So you need to let go of your earthly possessions. You need to become generous and follow me. Or you can hold on to your earthly possessions, but you'll miss out on what I see in you. To reach our potential, it's an either or. We can't have both. We either say yes to God's vision, his plan, and his direction, or we say no. And very often, our no looks like holding on to what I already have. Or by not changing, or not moving toward God's potential, towards his vision. And that's what the young man did. He refused to change. He chose to hold on to what he had and to settle for what he already was. And then Mark noted, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He recognized he couldn't have both, and so he settled. In the world of physics, there's a law, a law known as Newton's Third Law. Now, simply stated, it's this. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. It says the statement means that there is that in every interaction, there is a pair of forces acting on the two interacting objects. The size of the forces on the first object equals the size of the force on the second. The direction of the force on the first object is opposite to the direction of the force on the second object. Now that same law can apply to our decisions. For every yes, there is a no. And for every no, there is a yes. When we said yes to be here tonight, we said no to being at home. When we said yes to whatever job we had, we said no to another job. If we're in a relationship, when we said yes to that relationship, we said no to every other relationship. And every parent can attest that when we said yes to having kids, we said no to sleeping at night. In a couple of years, I want to take a, my youngest granddaughters to Disneyland. So right now, I'm saying a lot of no's. No to eating out. No to new shoes. No to fancy coffee shops. No to smoothie bars. My no's are being defined by the yes that I see in the future. See, every no is naturally accompanied by a yes. And every yes is accompanied by a no. And when the young man walked away from Jesus, he said yes to holding on to his possessions, to life the way it was. And he chose to stay comfortable, and he chose not to risk. And at the same time, he said no to the potential that Jesus saw in him. But if we're going to move towards potential, we have to move away from being comfortable. We have to be willing to make hard decisions, the ones that move us toward our potential. In the Old Testament, as God prepared to lead Joshua and the Israelites into the promised land, he told them, you have to choose. He said, 
I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live. God cheers for us to make the hard decisions. He wants us to move towards our potential. He longs for it. He told the Israelites, look, I'm setting before you some difficult choices, but I encourage you, choose life. Choose your potential. And sometimes, making that hard decision toward your potential means that we won't always know if we're making the right decision. In order to move in a direction, we have to take a risk. We'll need to move without being guaranteed it's the right choice. And sometimes, we have to make a decision and hope that it's right. And that's our second step towards moving towards potential. Take a step. Just take a step. In the Old Testament, there's a story about a young girl named Esther who became the queen of Persia due to the previous queen's disrespect for the king. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you want soap opera-style intrigue, you got to read the book of Esther. It's better than a lot of the stuff you see on TV. So here, I'll break it down. Esther is taken by force from her home, and she's going to participate in a beauty um, pageant of sorts. And the prize is you get to marry the king. So all these girls are taken from their homes. They're brought to the king's harem, where they're going to be for a year. Now, somewhere in there, Esther makes an impression on Haggai, who oversees the king's harem. And so what he does is he takes favor on her. He gives her advice. He gives her special treatment. And lo and behold, she marries the king. Now, at the same time that she's marrying the king, her new husband raises another man um, to second in command. This man's name is Haman. Now, Esther's cousin, who had raised her from birth, had told Esther, don't tell anybody your nationality, because Esther was a Jew. So now you've got Esther is the new queen, you've got the king, and you've got Haman, who has become the second in command. And man, he thinks he hasn't made, because the king has not only made him second in command, but he's told everybody, when you see Haman, you bow to him in honor. Haman thinks, man, this is great. But he goes in and out the city gates. He notices this man doesn't bow to him. And this angers him. It makes him upset. And so people go to this man, Mordecai, who is Esther's cousin, and says, you know, you're really upsetting Haman. Why aren't you bowing? And Mordecai says, I can't bow. I'm a Jew. I bow to no man. So every time he goes in and out, Haman is getting angrier and angrier. And he's like, who is this guy? Who does he think he is that he doesn't bow to me? I am the second in command. He's ticked. And as he's getting angrier and angrier, he hatches a plan. And so he goes to Esther's husband, and he says to her, says to him, there's a people that live in, your, in this land. They don't follow your laws. In fact, they're probably going to overthrow you. So here, let's do this. Let's de let me destroy them. Let's wipe them out. And I will put into the king's treasury 10,000 talents of silver. Well, Esther's husband, King Ahasuerus, says, hey, that's great. It's a win-win. I'm going to get rid of these people in my town, in my city, that cause division. And I'm going to get 10,000 talents of silver in the coffers. Hey, that's great. 
And so they signed the edict. And they signed it and they put the king's signet ring on it, which means this law cannot be revoked. Now King Ahasuerus is thinking, this is great. And so he and Haman, his second in command, go out and have a night of drinking. But while all that's going on, the edict is being read and the town is in a quandary. And the Jews are upset. They're threatened. They're going to be annihilated. And so they throw on sackcloth and ashes, and they're going around, and they're weeping and mourning. And Mordecai goes to the king's gate in ashes and sackcloth. And his cousin, the queen, looks out and sees him. So she sends her servant to Mordecai and says, here, put this on. And Mordecai says no. And what he does is he sends to the queen a copy of the edict, edict, and he asks for help. Now, I'm going to read it to you from um, Esther 4, 10 through 16, what happens next. So this is then a- Esther spoke to Hatak and gave him a command for Mordecai. This is after she was asked for help. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces, I know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court of the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go to the king these 30 days. And so they told Mordecai Esther's words. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And then Esther told him to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Here was Esther's dilemma. She had the potential to rescue her people. However, for her to show up uninvited into the inner court of the king meant certain death. Unless the king took mercy on her and extended his scepter toward her as a sign of acceptance and welcome. Now maybe this was the reason that she was in the position she was in. Maybe not. There was no directional sign saying, hey, go here and do this. All she had was the words of her cousin and the urgency of the moment. And she needed to make a decision, and she wasn't guaranteed that it would be the right decision. It was possible that she would be able to speak to the king and perhaps save her people. It was equally possible that the king would not receive her and she would face certain death. For her not to act would have left the edict as it was, and her people endangered. Esther could not choose to not do anything. She needed to make a decision, and she needed to take a step toward it. And sometimes, we're going to be standing in Esther's shoes. We're going to need to make a decision to take a step towards our potential, but we won't know which step to take, and we won't be guaranteed that it will be successful. However, By not making a decision, we are making a decision. 
inaction doesn't mean all movement stops. It simply means that life will come at us, and then we're going to have to walk through it. So what decisions are you waiting for or clear sign on? Where are you not making a decision because you might make the wrong one? What step have you been afraid to make? Do we need to stop waiting? We need to make a decision, and we need to take the first step. A few months ago, <clears throat> my husband and I were thinking, and we were praying about a purchase that we were considering. Now, in the middle of praying about this purchase, he comes to me, and he says, you know, I've been praying, and I really feel God asked me this, and I want to ask you to pray about it and confirm it. And he says, I think God wants us to give more in our offering. Now, Tom's the holy one. Because I looked at him and said, what? We're already tithing. The Old Testament says, give 10% of your income. We are giving our 10%. You want to do what? And I wrestled with it. And I prayed. And God did not give me a clear answer. All he said was, you know what? Listen to your husband. Now, I got to tell you that right off on a side note, listen to your husband is really hard for me. I, I'm a bossy person. I have to practice listening, which is probably why God gave that answer, listen to your husband. But there wasn't a clear set of instructions. It was something that we felt called to do. And if we're going to move in the direction of the potential that God sees in us, then we needed to make a move in that direction, whether we knew what the outcome was or not. And to have not moved on that whisper of God would have left us right where we are. And that wasn't a bad place. It just would have been short of God's potential for us. No lightning bolt came from the sky. We didn't hear God's voice say increase. We simply had faith in a vision of what the future can look like if we move toward God's potential. In Psalm 119, 105, the psalmist wrote, your word is a lamp to, for my feet, a light on my path. Sometimes God doesn't show us where to go as much as he lights our way. In the book of Genesis, God begins to build the Jewish nation by calling Abram out of his home country. And when he called Abram, he didn't give him clear instructions. He basically told him, leave your country, leave your extended family, and go to a land, and I'll show you where it is. He didn't say, go off to Egypt, go off to Persia. Go. He just said, go, and I'll show you where it is. Genesis 12.1 says it this way. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Ab Abram didn't even know where he was going. He just knew that God told him to go, and then when he gets there, he'll tell him. Some of our decisions, they're going to be like Esther's, and they're going to be like Abram's. We won't know the end result. We'll simply know we need to take a step. And the lack of guarantee is going to make us very uncomfortable. But if you're going to move towards your potential, you've got to be uncomfortable. And that leads to our final step. Live with eternity in sight. Now, I've been working on this message for a couple of weeks, and last night, it wasn't finished. 
I'm part of um, financial peace class, which is a really good class, but I missed the class because I needed to work on the message. For this week, my whole priority has been getting this message done. I've been focused on it. Every time something came up, what would cross my mind is, would it take away from the message, it's prep time? No, I can't do that. I got to work it, work on the prep. Well, this morning, we woke up, and I'm like, okay, today's the day. I'm going to go into the office. I'm going to focus. I'm going to get it done. It's been my priority. But on the way into the office, my husband got a phone call from my son. And my 16-year-old granddaughter, Tina, was admitted to the hospital last night. She has pancreatitis. Do you know what happened to the priority of this message? It shifted just like that. All of a sudden, working on this message wasn't important. See, I didn't know this morning what pancreatitis was. I don't, didn't know how serious it is or how serious it's not. I didn't know anything. But I knew my granddaughter was in the hospital. And so I shifted. And that's where we went. Now, isn't it true that our priorities shift when we think life and death hang in the balance? This message, which pretty much was my main priority all week, shifted to a whole lot less importance when I knew what was going on with my granddaughter. All of a sudden, whether I had this done or not didn't matter. She's going to be fine, by the way. She's going to have surgery tomorrow. She's going to be fine. But this message didn't matter at that moment. In her devotional, The Messy Table, Jen Jewell writes, We have been put here at this exact time in history for a divine purpose. But on the other hand, part of really living is understanding the frailty of life. To really live, we must grasp having only a minuscule amount of time to breathe air into our lungs and to wear this beating heart. To really live, we must realize that life is a blink and we dare not waste it. In Psalm 90:12, Moses said, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Another version says, Teach us to recognize the brevity of life. But how can remembering that life is short give us this wisdom? And then she ends with this. This eternal perspective nudges us to cling to what will last forever in a world that is fading away. It urges us to anchor ourselves to eternity, not circumstances, and to maximize the days we've been given. And she's right. What I experienced this morning was, not a, was a not-so-gentle nudge to remember to view my priorities through the lens of eternity. My relationship with my granddaughter far outweighed finishing a message. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Sheldon was up here, and he reminded us of something that Pastor Shel um, Wayne has told us. He said, if I took a pen and went as far left that way as I could and started drawing a line, as far right as I could, as far as you could see, and I took that same pen and I drew a scratch. This represents eternity. And this scratch is our lives. But we try to squeeze everything we can into this scratch. We hang on to this scratch. Every decision we make is about this scratch. But we weren't created for this scratch. We were created for eternity. And when everything that I have in this scratch, 
when this life right here is of the highest importance, then I'm going to hold on to it with all my might. Yet this life is not forever. Eternity is. And God created us to live in all of eternity with him. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. See, our souls yearn for eternity. But trying to hold on to everything that we have here and now sidetracks us from living like eternity matters. It hinders us from striving for or reaching the full potential that God has placed within us. We were not created for living here on earth only. We were created to live eternally with God, but it's going to cost us. Living for eternity rather than this life right here is going to be really uncomfortable. Comfort tethers us here to this life, but we're created for so much more. So what is it? What is it that you need to let go of to move towards the potential that God has placed in you? What do you need to do in order to take a risk toward your potential? So I'm going to ask you to do something with this message this week. Sometime during the week, I want you to take out a journal or a piece of paper, and I want you to answer these questions so you can write them down. And I want you to be honest so that you can start moving in the direction that God has for you. So your first question is, how would my life be different if I were moving in alignment with God's potential for me? How would my life be different if I were moving in alignment with God's potential for me? And the two questions are based on this. In light of eternity and the potential that God sees in me, what yes or what no do I need to say? In light of eternity and the potential God sees in me, what yes or what no do I need to say? And then after that, in light of eternity and the potential God sees in me, what first step do I need to take? Then I want you to take a long, hard look at your answer and then pray. And ask God for wisdom. And then when you're done, start acting on your answers. If it's saying a yes or a no, say it. If you need to take a first step to or away from something, take that step. I'm going to dare you. Get uncomfortable. and Take a risk towards your potential. You can put away your notes. Close your Bibles. Every time that I read through the Bible, I'm so amazed by all the heroes in it. I'm amazed by the choices that they made. But here's the thing. You and I have it within ourselves to be heroes just as they were. All we have to do is be bold enough to live towards God's potential in us. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, Thank you so much, not just for calling us and welcoming us into your family, but for putting dreams and visions and potential into each and every one of us. 
And Lord, your word says that you set eternity in our hearts. And so we're going to ask you, Lord, that as our soul yearns for that eternity, that we'd be able to let go of what we find so important here, that we'd look through the lens of eternity and what you have planned for us and how you want us to live, and that we would become a people who don't settle for second best, who don't settle for less than what you see for us, but we would stretch ourselves and live in the potential that you have for us. This week, Lord, help us to risk towards our potential. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay. So you know what? Moving towards our, <laughs> moving towards our potential is not going to be easy. It's not always going to be fun. But we can get there. We just got to hang on.